Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. And then we also will be reading together from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. As I mentioned, in our reflection of the Heidelberg Catechism, we are now transitioning to a consideration of the topic of prayer by specifically reflecting upon the Lord's Prayer. As I mentioned earlier this morning, the ancient Christian um, form of, of catechesis went through uh, the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, the sacraments, and the Lord's Prayer. And so as we seek to learn the Christian faith through these uh, various texts and documents, we are doing uh, what Christians have done not only in the last 500 years since the Reformation, but really the last 1,500 years as this has been the tried and true way of how we are to learn uh, the Christian faith. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5 and reading through verse 14. Please pay careful attention for this is God's word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses." Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please turn a page over to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. This also is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as he addresses the topic of prayer. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please look with me in your order of worship at the confessional reading element. This morning we are confessing together a portion of Lord's Day 45, and specifically question answer 116. I believe there are four question answers that make up Lord's Day 45. Today we're just looking at the first question and answer. It'll take us at least a couple weeks to to go through this Lord's Day. And so today we're going to focus our attention on question and answer 116. 
As always, I'll read the question if you'd please respond by reciting the answer. Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank Him for them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not remained hidden, but you have revealed yourself to us, not only in creation, but most supremely in uh, your word. As we reflect upon your word again for a few moments here, we ask that your spirit would be present, that we would not be mere readers or hearers of this word, but that we would inwardly digest this word for our growth and sanctification this life. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, boys and girls, uh, what are the, the three main sections of our catechism? Yes, Lise? Very good. And which section are we in now? Micah? Gratitude. Gratitude, yes. Now, what are the three elements of true faith? Violet? Knowledge, assent, and trust. And what's the content of this faith? Noel? <laughs> you want to ask a, uh, a sister? Violet? The Apostles' Creed, yes, very good. And what benefit do we receive when we profess this faith? Marcus? Christ's righteousness. Christ's righteousness. Uh, we're going to skip the next question because I'll ask you that in a, in a, actually in a little bit later. But uh, what, are the, what are the two keys of the kingdom? Marcus? Very good. Uh, what, uh, what, how would you define a good work? Good work. Billy? Yes, very good. Our true faith, according to the law of God, and for the glory of God. What's the division of the Ten Commandments? How would you summarize the Ten Commandments? Violet? What are the first four commandments about? Love for God. How about the last six? Isaiah? Love for neighbor. Love for neighbor. Yes. So today we are transitioning to consider prayer. And again, the, the, the main document or portion of Scripture that this section covers is the Lord's Prayer. So when we consider God's law, we were looking at the Ten Commandments. Now as we consider prayer, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. And uh, as you can see from question 116, this question is all about the why of prayer. Why should we pray? Next week, we will consider the how of prayer and then the what of prayer. So Lord's Day 45 is a very good introduction to the Lord's Prayer because it answers the why of prayer, the how of prayer, and the what of prayer. And so today we're just going to focus on this first question. Why? Why should we pray? Now this question, this topic, brings to mind and brings to the, the fore the topic of motivations. Motivations for prayer. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we all would admit that we do not pray as much as we ought to pray. And usually when we start thinking about prayer, we 
feel a tinge of guilt that we don't do this as often as we should. And there's always a temptation to talk about prayer more than we actually pray. There's a temptation to hear teaching about prayer, but not actually pray ourselves. And that's a real temptation. However, we do need to be taught how to pray. In Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, that uh, the Lord's Prayer is introduced by one of, dis- one of Jesus' disciples asking Jesus to teach him and the other disciples how to pray. And Jesus' response to that question is the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' teaching to the disciples and to the church on how we are to pray. This means that we can and we should recite the Lord's Prayer verbatim. It's a very it's a great template to have memorized, but it also serves as a structuring device for the types of things that we should pray. And we'll look more at how it functions in that way in the weeks to come. And so today we're going to be focusing our attention upon the why of prayer. Why should we pray? Why should we be motivated to pray? Prayer takes discipline. And so why should we discipline ourselves in order to pray? And so you'll notice that there's two main reasons that the Catechism gives us. First, we are to pray because prayer is important. And second, we are to pray because prayer is effective. Prayer is important and prayer is effective. Now, boys and girls, what does the first sentence of question and answer 116 say, or the answer part of 116? What's the first sentence? Marcus? Exactly. Continue. Yes, very good. So th- this tells us that prayer is important. And I'd like to unpack this sentence, this first sentence of the answer of question 116. Notice, first of all, that the catechism places prayer under the heading of thankfulness or gratitude. Prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness or gratitude that God requires of us. Now, in Reformed theology, we speak about the means of grace, the means that the Holy Spirit uses to create, confirm, and nurture faith within our hearts. And so, boys and girls, what means does the Holy Spirit use to create faith? Where does faith come from? Isaiah? Yes, and where, where is faith confirmed? How is faith confirmed in our hearts? Yeah. Uh, yes. The use of the sacraments. Very good. So preaching and sacraments are the Spirit's means of building us up in grace. And if you remember, preaching and sa- the the preaching of the word and the sacraments were under the grace section of the catechism. But prayer according to the catechism, is not a means of grace. It's a means of gratitude. It's under the gratitude section. So strictly speaking, prayer is not a means of grace. It's a means of gratitude. So in the preaching of the word and in the administration of the sacraments, God is on his playing field. We thought about that specifically when we were thinking about the sacraments. God is the one who's acting and delivering Christ and all his benefits. However, when we pray, we are, we are those you know, in, the, in the stands, as it were, applauding God's action on the field. It's our response to the grace of God. God is acting in the word and the sacraments, and in prayer we're responding to God's grace in both the word and the sacraments. And so strictly speaking, the 
Uh, prayer is the chief response we have to the Lord's means of grace. Now, prayer then is rooted in commandments one through three of the Ten Commandments. Uh, so, boys and girls, what, what question does the first commandment answer? Annabelle? Who we worship. How about the second and third commandments? What question, Lise? How we should worship. So, when we think about prayer, uh, when we pray to the one true God, we are obeying the first commandment. When we're praying according to Scripture, we are obeying the second commandment. When we pray reverently, we are obeying the third commandment. And so prayer is rooted, it's founded in commandments one through three of the Ten Commandments. And so it's part of our gratitude, it's part of our thankfulness, part of our response to God's grace. Now we've considered many things that we are called to do in response to the gospel. Uh, we've considered many aspects of our life of gratitude as we've walked through the Ten Commandments. Now why does the Catechism say that prayer is the chief part of our thankfulness? that God requires of us. Why, why is prayer more important than telling the truth or not coveting or obeying um, our father and our mothers and every earthly authority? Why does the catechism uh, focus on prayer as the chief part of all of the many duties we are called to partake of in this life of gratitude? It's an interesting question to think about. Why is prayer the chief part, the main part of the gratitude that God requires of us? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus introduces this passage on prayer by saying, when you pray. In fact, he says that twice in this passage, when you pray, which assumes that prayer should be a regular ha habit and rhythm in the life of a Christian. Furthermore, Paul confirms this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, when he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So part of God's will for you is to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances, to rejoice always. Again, we see that prayer is meant to be a regular rhythm and habit in our lives. But still, these scripture passages don't necessarily say that prayer is to be the chief part or the most important part of our thankfulness. It surely is indicating that prayer should, should be an important part of our life of gratitude, but it doesn't necessarily prove that prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness. And so what's the scriptural foundation for what the catechism is saying here? That prayer is the chief or most important part of the life of obedience and gratitude that God requires of us. I think the foundation, the scriptural foundation behind what the catechism is saying here exists beyond a mere proof text. It actually resides in a deep theological principle that permeates many, many pages of scripture. And the reason why prayer is the chief part of the thankfulness which God requires of us is because prayer functions as a microcosm of our entire life of gratitude that we're called to display and live according to. Prayer is a microcosm of our entire life of gratitude. So remember what I said just a few moments ago. When we pray to the one true God, we're obeying the first commandment. When we're praying according to Scripture, according to the will of God in Scripture, we are obeying the second commandment, which calls us to worship God according to His Word. 
when we pray reverently, we are obeying the third commandment. When we're praying for the needs of others, we're essentially obeying the second table of the law, which calls us to love our neighbor. So just think for a moment of the posture of your heart during times of genuine prayer. You are acknowledging the supremacy and sovereignty of God. You are seeking to operate according to the will of God. You're seeking to revere the name and holiness of God. You're seeking the good and benefit of your neighbor. And that posture of heart that you have during times of genuine prayer is the posture of heart you are to have in every moment of your day, even those times in which you're not praying. And so when you pray, that is a reminder of the type of attitude, heart attitude that you are to have every waking moment on this earth. So the logic kind of goes like this. When you pray to God as the sovereign God, the God who promises that nothing comes by chance, but everything comes by his fatherly hand, the more you pray to God as your sovereign heavenly father, the more you begin to rest and trust his plan for you. The more you pray for others, the more you will actually love others in word and in deed. And thus prayer functions as a microcosm of our entire life of gratitude, and it, it, it's, a, it's a reminder of how we are called to live in word and in deed. And so I think it's for this reason that, that the catechism centers and focuses upon prayer as the chief, the most important part of the life of grateful service that we're called to do. Now, uh, question answer 116 motivates us to pray because prayer is important. God requires it. God commands it. God tells us it's important. But the catechism also tells us and reminds us that prayer is effective. You know, at the end of the day, if, if prayer was completely ineffective, but God commanded us to do it, we still, we still should do it. But that's not the case. God doesn't just command something that's ineffective. God commands prayer, but he also reminds us and assures us that prayer is effective. God hears and answers the prayers of his people. And this is a principle that we see throughout the Bible. So, for instance, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, which we read earlier, Jesus tells his disciples to ask, seek, and knock. And notice the promise that we are given. That when we ask, our request will be granted. When we seek, we will find. And in knocking, the door will be opened. Asking, seeking, and knocking are, are metaphors for petitioning God with the request of our heart. God promises that he will, he will respond. He will answer. Why? Because God is our loving Heavenly Father who delights to pour down provisions and gifts upon his children. Therefore, we are to pray with hopeful expectation. We are to pray with confident trust that prayer is actually effective. James, in his short epistle, speaks about this principle often. And James clearly was, was influenced by Jesus' teaching. And so we see in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, James says, If any one of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person not, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
So consider what James is saying there. He's saying specifically um, on the topic of wisdom, he's saying if you lack wisdom, ask God. And don't doubt, but have faith that he will answer you. Have hopeful expectation that God will grant you that desire of your heart. James continues in James 1.17, For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So why are we to be confident in prayer? Why are we to pray with hopeful expectation? Because we're assured that every good and perfect gift comes down from God the Father. We pray by the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ to God, our providential Heavenly Father, and then we're assured that every good and perfect gift comes down from God the Father in the name of the Son, through His mediation, and delivered through the Spirit. And so there's a great Trinitarian chain when it comes to our prayers and God's responses to those prayers. James chapter 4, verse 2, James says, You do not have because you do not ask. Or in chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and earth bore its fruit. And there are many more passages that we could look to to prove this principle that we are to trust that prayer is effective, and we are to pray with hopeful expectation. And we are to be assured that at the end of the day, we won't fully comprehend and understand how our prayers can be effective while at the same time God can be completely sovereign over every affair of this life. John Calvin says in his institutes, as he reflects upon the Lord's Prayer, He says, he so tempers, that is to say, God so tempers the outcome of events according to his incomprehensible plan that the prayers of the saints, which are a mixture of faith and error, are not nullified. God works into his will the prayers of his people in a way that transcends our understanding. God ordains not only the ends, but the means to those ends, and one of his means are the prayers of his people. And thus we are called to pray, trusting that our prayers are effective. Now, as we pray with expectation, we also are to pray from a foundation of trust. It's very easy for us to hear this principle and to begin to, to, to think of prayer as a covenant of works, or prayer life with God as a covenant of works, whereby the reason why I don't have certain good things in my life or the reason why there are some bad things in my life is because I have not been faithful enough in prayer, or I've not prayed with enough faith. If only I was a little bit more faithful in prayer, if only if I, w- if I prayed with a little bit more faith, then I would have these good things, or I wouldn't be experiencing these bad things. But again, as we thought about last week, we have to remember we're not under the law. We're not in a tit-for-tat relationship with God. Uh, Paul says in Romans 6, Paul says in Galatians 5, which we read earlier today, that we are no longer under the law, but we're under grace. We're, we're his beloved children. Furthermore, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 before he uh, gives us the Lord's Prayer. He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them, or before you ask Him. 
When we pray, we are not informing God about the concerns of our life. It's not as if God hears your prayer and says, boy, I'm so glad that you told me about that because I just wouldn't have known. Jesus says, no, God knows what you need before you ask him. And thus we are to trust, again, we are to trust that God delights and promises to provide for our needs regardless of our faithfulness in prayer. We are to trust that God promises to provide for our needs regardless of our faithfulness to prayer. God knows what we need and provides for us in ways that transcends our prayer list. Think about, even in your own personal life, the, time, the ways in which God has provided for you over the years. And how many times God has provided for you um, with things that you did not pray for. God does that all the time. If we are limited uh, to only receiving the things that we explicitly prayed for, life would be pretty difficult in this age. And so we are to trust that God provides for us in ways that transcend our prayer list. We are not in a covenant of works with God when we step into a prayer closet or when we lift up our voice and petition to him. Moreover, we also are to trust that we have a faithful intercessor at the right hand of God. That Jesus finished his earthly work by dying on the cross, by living a perfect life, by rising from the dead, but he still has work to do in heaven. And that work is interceding for his people, praying for his people. And we can be assured that every prayer that Jesus offers for you will be answered because Jesus always prays according to the will of God. Our prayers are mixed with mixture. Uh, our, our prayers are, are a mixture of, of truth and error. We don't always pray according to the will of God, and that's not every prayer is answered, but Jesus always prays according to the will of God. And so we can be confident that every prayer that Jesus prays for you night and day is answered. The anchor of our souls is not found in our prayer life. The anchor of, of our Christian life and our souls is found in Jesus' prayer life. The reason why you can be assured that you will not lose your faith, you will um, not spin off the track, is because of Jesus' prayers for you. And thus we are to pray expectantly, trusting that we have an intercessor who prays on our behalf for things that we don't even know we should be praying for. And we are to be encouraged and comforted by that. Well, last of all, we also are uh, to pray trusting God's will. Now, we all know that uh, and have experienced many times in which we have prayed and God seems to be silent, where God does not seem to answer our prayers the way we would desire him to answer those prayers. And the reason for that is that our prayers do not conform to his will. And if we knew, if we knew things the way God, if we knew things the way God knows things, then uh, we wouldn't want it any other way. But we don't know things the way God knows things. And so it's hard for us. It's hard for us to pray and, and, uh, and just receive silence. Uh, it's hard for us to pray and, and uh, not have God answer our prayers the way we would wish or desire him to answer our prayers. And so we are to trust. We are to trust God's plan and will. We are to trust that God promises to work all things out for the good uh, for his people. That is to say, conform, um, uh, conformity to Christ, that all things will will work towards our sanctification. And so, yes, we are to pray with expectation, but we also are to pray from that foundation of trust. 
trust, trusting that God promises to provide for us in ways that transcend our prayer list. Uh, prayer list. Trust that we have an intercessor at the right hand of God who prays for us night and day and trust the will and plan of God even when we're not privy to that will. And so, question answer 116 uh, gives us these two motivations for prayer. We are to pray because it's important. It's a chief part of our gratitude, of our thankfulness that God requires of us because prayer is a microcosm of our entire life of, of gratitude that we are called to live according to. But second, we are to pray and be motivated to pray because it's effective. That God actually answers and hears our prayers. And so next week, we will turn our attention to the how question. How are we to pray in such a way that God will hear us? How, do we, how are we to pray in such a way that we can actually be assured that he will answer us? And then after that, we'll consider the what of prayer, which will then transition us into the, uh, the Lord's Prayer itself.